Welcome to the Israel Conversation by the Massah Leadership and Impact Center. We are informally debating issues that concern Zionists about life, culture, and politics in Israel. Good evening, everyone. This is uh, Kalev Bendor. This is another one of the Massa special episodes. This is our third special episode. If you haven't heard one and two, you should probably do that first. And I am joined by uh, Mike and Liel. Mike and Liel, how are you both doing in these difficult times? Uh, what I always tell Mike's rolling his eyes. I, I, uh, I always say okay and not okay. It's the same. I think everybody's doing okay and not okay. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. It goes in and out. Yeah. Usually, uh, it's been better. Is a good answer too. Yeah. If I if I could just plug Fathom Journal, which is which is one of the the places I work for, we we published a brilliant uh, diary essay from uh, someone called Su- Susie Doring Preston, who I'm I'm very um, uh, lucky to call uh, a friend of mine, who wrote a diary uh, about the last few days in Jerusalem. She's a mother of four, and the title was was um, Safe But Broken, um, which I think um, sums up a lot of a lot of what's going on. And what we're going to be talking about today, so, so in, in our kind of first special episode, we talked about uh, ways we can understand what happened on October the 7th, some kind of historical analogies. And um, in the second special episode, we talked about kind of what next. And today we're going to be talking about... Um, primarily what's been going on in the rest of the world and certainly what's been going on in campus and i think all of us um we we you know we we teach college students we we speak to college students and really what they've been experiencing is very very challenging some very radical things going on uh, this wasn't on campus but in australia there was a, a huge uh, kind of anti-israel demonstration where people were, were talking about gassing the jews and and i think i should point out actually that a whole chunk of these weren't after Israel began to respond, wasn't even after Israel began in Gaza. This was immediately after 1,200 Jews were slaughtered in one day. That in some ways it was it was the fact of Jews being killed that in some way was something that uh, people had to had to celebrate. Um, and and it's in some ways only gotten worse. So I think you know a lot of our listeners are are uh, high school students, people on campus. And and all sorts of people outside of Israel who are just really uh, concerned and worried um, and questioning what's going on, and we are going to try and um, bring some sort of order to uh, the chaos. So, um, Leah, why, why don't we start with you? Can you kind of relate to kind of some of the things you've been hearing from people and what you kind of what you do with that? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so recently this week, I've decided to sort of open up. Um, the space to have a conversation um, between me and former students or me and people who participated in some of my tours in the last several years. Um, And so I set up a a Zoom call every night and whoever wants to join can join. Um, And so in these Zoom calls, I have um, high school students and college students and people who are post-college who all are in many ways experiencing very, very similar things. And um, even though I opened up these calls for me to share with them kind of what's happening on the ground here, it actually turns out to be sort of like a dialogue. And I've learned a lot about kind of what they're experiencing there, which is, and I'm not going to say just as bad, but it, it it's very close to being just as bad. 
So I think a big theme, I guess I'll just say, because um, we can talk about actually the, the campus policies, because um, that's one element of it. And then we can talk about the social dynamics happening within the campus of the internal personal lives of the students themselves. And I think one of the big issues that I keep hearing uh, uh, repeatedly is that people in the past, the disagreement politically speaking between them, right? A Jewish student, for example, and their counterpart was, okay, so we disagree politically. Okay, so we have different perspectives and different opinions. And now it's shifted dramatically to, wait a minute, you are posting online, right? And obviously we have to take into consideration also that the social media world is a huge component of all of this. Um, So they have their friends, maybe not saying it out loud, but posting on social media, all kinds of support of Palestine, uh, support of, Ham- I don't know if Hamas, of, but um, basically coming out against Israel, fiercely against Israel. And the difference, I think, between, you know, prior to this uh, war and the attack and now is that now I think as opposed to just being in a disagreement and having different opinions or different perspectives and it's complicated and it's complex and let's talk about it and let's come together and have a dialogue about it. No, um, it's very clearly for them become a situation of, I'm actually scared to be friends with this person. I am afraid that given that this person is now supporting this issue that's been hijacked by Hamas in a very, very violent way. Massacre that's been hijacked. I mean, I think that a lot of their counterparts are sort of continuing the, the continuing what they would always post, right? Staying on the side that they would have always posted prior, which is a side that for them stands with social justice, social justice warriors, the minorities, the victims. Um, and it's become really clear to the Jewish students, whether in high school or in college or even after college, is that all of a sudden there's these people that they've, they have, they've been acquainted with or, or friends with or even roommates with. And now it's a question of, I am, I'm, I don't know if scared for my life is the right way to put it, but I am scared that this person is actually going to take either allow someone else to do something physically violent towards me um, or stand by while I, you know, while something bad happens to me, which was not, I think, at all the assumption before this. And I think that people are scared. Um, I got every single Zoom that I've had so far. There's been at least one or two people who've actually specifically gave exa- given examples of their Uber experiences, right? So a lot of Uber drivers in the United States are um, from uh, the Middle East. A lot of them are Muslim. Um, a lot of them uh, come from various uh, uh, Islamic countries, um, Middle Eastern countries, sometimes Afri- African countries too. And um, they are afraid because when you order an Uber, your name automatically pops up on the Uber. And so they're afraid to get into the Uber because they don't know, they're getting into someone's car who may or may not be someone who loves them, hates them, who knows, but they're, they're, they're sort of, they're, they're exposed in some way because their name is there, um, which is such a, like a simple thing. Who, who thinks about that? But I've heard every person that so far has told me at least one story about being scared to get into an Uber. People talk about being at protests and they get violent, um, whether that's on campus, off campus, but participating, you know, standing up for Israel and they get somewhat violent. Someone gets violent in that. Um, and primarily, again, going back to the social media, right? That people, the, the, like the Jewish students are, are, are really devastated to find out that like, you know, three girls, three white Christian girls and her sorority class, right? With her sorority, she's essentially supposed to be sorority sisters with these girls who are posting pro-Palestinian footage and, and content on, on online. And I, I think they're just left speechless and a little bit in shock. Um, specifically, I'll just add the high school students feel like, especially the ones who go to public school, feel like they have to make really serious decisions about their life, like who their friends are going to be and who not, who cannot be their friend anymore. And how do you make that 
like separation? How do you define like, yeah, I think so. I think a lot of people are in conflict, non-conflict. I think a lot of people have come to understand that they can't be friends with these people and they can't be in contact with these people. And they're actually even afraid of these people. Um, and that's kind of devastating because before this, it was, okay, we are friends, but we disagree. Whereas now it's like, oh no, we're enemies and I stand up for good and you stand up for, for evil. So that's what I'm hearing um, in general from the people who were on campus and, and, and in high school um, and have been to Israel. And the one thing I'll just say the, that, I, that, I keep, that I keep repeating to them is that perhaps two weeks ago, if they had asked me, Liel, what do I do when someone comes up to me and says, free Palestine, end the occupation? What, what are the, some pointers that I can say to them? Um, like, I don't, maybe they, they don't feel like they have enough Israel history or, or geo, understanding of geopolitics. And, you know, usually there are, you know, some, uh, some sources that you can direct them to. And I think after all this, I'm, my, my, my message to them personally is, guys, it, it's, it's not relevant. Like, you, you want to have a conversation about the occupation, you can have a conversation about the occupation or about, you know, colonialism or what have you, but it's irrelevant. Right now, what's relevant? And I told them, I said, I didn't see the videos, but you guys probably saw the videos and they for sure saw the videos and it's accessible to everyone, right? It's not like you can lie about this. It's not hidden. So if you're for, it's very simple. If you're for this, you're for evil. I don't care if you, which side, you know, which side you support and why and how, if you're for this and supporting this, which includes anyone who's standing up for a Palestinian cause right now, if you're for this, you support evil. And if you're against it, you support good and you're on the right side of history. And it's very simple and it's very clear. And that's what I keep repeating to them. So I said, forget, forget about talking points, forget about, I don't know, historical facts and figures and, and, and advocacy pointers. Um, that's, that's not what this is. This is much more simple and people are in shock. People are in shock that like human goodness is, 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 is there's, there's a lack of clarity for human goodness or evil. These people are very confused, it seems. That's really fascinating. Thank you, Leo. Mike, I, I want to hear your experiences, but I, I also want to ask you something. You know, one, one of the more uh, well-reported things was about kind of the Harvard students, etc. You know, how do seemingly Elite, and I actually actually had a, a question from a student on this who, who's at one of you know the top universities. How do Ivy League seemingly smart students end up getting? You know, I'm not suggesting the situation in in general isn't complex. I think it is, but this specific thing, as Liel is touching on, is there 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 is there is evil. There are people who are massacring, and there are people who are being massacred. How do seemingly smart people get it so wrong? But I, and I also want to hear about kind of what what you, I know you've you've given a lot of a lot of talks to to students about the situation. How do people get it so wrong? Uh, because that's what they were taught. Because for the last what twenty thirty years, Middle Eastern departments of universities have been funded uh, with with millions and millions of dollars to teach this rethinking of geopolitics that teaches them very strange standards of how to understand the world. Look, if we look around the world, we see that major governments of free countries, democracies, have been unbelievably clear about the horrors of Hamas, because that's what you're supposed to do when there's a brutal, evil, genocidal massacre. You're supposed to forthrightly and clearly condemn it as a horrible crime against humanity. 
there's absolutely nothing wrong if those heads of state or whatever say, and you know, we 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 pray for the best for the people of both sides, the innocent civilians of both sides, including the innocent civilians of Gaza. That's fine. But your condemnation shouldn't be watered down or wishy-washy or, well, but you do have, you know, Hamas did a terrible thing, but you have to understand they've been suffering. You don't get to rape women to death and kidnap grandmothers and babies because, like, it's just beyond the pale. Like Liel said, this should be pretty simple. So heads of corporations, heads of sports teams, heads of publications, people have been pretty clear. I've been watching a lot of... um, clips of news media from around the world, interviewers, mostly, you know, America and the UK, and interviewers are being really harsh with people who are fumbling and not condemning very clearly, you know, and asking the obvious question of to these people who are like, Israel shouldn't be doing what it's doing. Okay, what should Israel be doing? After 13, 1400 of its citizens were massacred and 200 have been taken prisoner men, women, and children into Gaza. What should Israel do? Well, you can't take it out on the civilians. You can't do collective punishment. What should Israel do? And they can't answer it. So I, I am seeing that from most parts of Western civilization, the, the response is clear, except for academia. In other words, the question you're asking, Kalev, is a very powerful question in that most institutions of the Western democracies are getting this right. But in the world of academia, they're really struggling. Massive numbers of students, you're seeing professors, uh, and without getting into names of particular colleges or universities, you know, there's a social media clip going around today of a professor at a major university saying how when he saw what happened in Gaza, he was so excited and thrilled and energized by seeing this breaking through of freedom, like Okay, you know, you saw what I saw, and that was your reaction. The teachers are teaching it. The student organizations are supporting it. They're having huge festivals where they bring in freedom to speak. And there is an aspect of the intelligentsia and the academic world that has become, I don't know, a pagan cult of irrational, immoral thought. I don't know how else to explain or answer your question, Khalid. Because most normal people look at this and understand that that evil has to be called out. When human beings are that evil, you condemn them. So why is it in academia? Because that's what they're being taught. That's what universities are tolerating. That's what universities are expounding. That's what universities are respecting. You know, when you see clips of universities of huge rallies on campus shouting, globalize the intifada, from the river to the sea, and you see Jewish students screaming and crying to college officials saying, make them stop. They're talking about killing my people. Well, you have to respect free speech, and this is a, this is the debate we're having. You want to debate Israeli policy towards Gaza and the West Bank, go for it. That is not from the river to the sea. That is not globalized the Intifada. And it's gotten this far without pushback. Okay. Either this is going to be a turning point for sanity or it won't be. You know, I'm talking not only, I'm not as generous as Liel. I'm not doing Zooms every day, but I've done a few with, you know, with students that I've taught, uh, some for specific institutions, some I just did, I sent out a call, anybody who wants to talk. So I've met with dozens of students, uh, aside from my classes here in Israel. 
And these are, by the way, some of them, uh, and I'll name the university that the students said things are really good, was at Brown University. My students said the administration was forthright and clear at the beginning. And so people have been pretty careful about how they say things. I was like, wow, that is amazing to hear. But at most places, the university has been, like you, you mentioned Harvard, the university took days to put out this, you know, both sides deserve criticism message after a massacre. And they also just lost funding for it as well. Well, for, they're, for they're, being they're wishy-washy and not lots of Penn is getting funders are complaining. Harvard funders are complaining. It's hit the international media as a topic to discuss. So it's not just us, you know, imagining it. Just because it's a topic in the media doesn't mean it's as bad as everybody says it is. And there is this, you know, amplification of outrage. And maybe things aren't as bad as they look, but they look really bad. And even if it's a fraction of what we're seeing, it's it's an embarrassment to what used to be called higher education. And what advice do you have? I mean, it, listen, I was I was in university during the Intifada. Uh, it wasn't particularly pleasant, but I, I can. I my guess is that over the last twenty years, it, it's gotten worse and worse. Um, what advice do you have? For but you're basically like bragging that you're much kids? younger than me. Is that what that was? That was a sly. Uh, listen, Liel, 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 meanwhile is looking at us, thinking, you know. Who is, it, who is this old person? Um, wh- what advice do you have for, for you know, people who are on campus who maybe maybe they've spent a year in Israel, maybe they haven't, but they're, they want to be proud of their Jewish identity. They, they've experienced in Israel that they do not recognize in the, in the chants and the accusations of people that they may even be sitting in courses with, maybe even from their teachers. What, what recourse do they have? What should they be doing? Let me go first because my answer is pretty short. I think that when Jews look at campuses and decide where to go, uh, sometimes they look to see if there's a Hillel. Sometimes they look to see what the kosher options are. Are there Jewish support? Are there Jewish uh, uh, fraternities? I think you have to see, does my, did, what, how did my unit, how does this university handle October 7th? Did they outright condemn an evil massacre? And if not, don't go. Like, even before World War II, when Poland was not under Nazi occupation, they reduced the role of Jews and their ability to participate. So they set up special areas where Jews could, when, when they still allowed Jews in the universities, the Jews called them ghetto benches, where Jews would have to sit in a separate area, separate from the other Polish students. And in retrospect, you can't blame them for going because they were trying to better their lives. The same reason everyone goes to university. The writing should have been on the wall. Don't go to university that puts you on a ghetto bench. And if, you know, if Black Lives Matter and Human Lives Matter and LGBTQ matters, and all of them do matter, but Jews don't get the same defense, why do, why, why should it, people of color should feel safe on campuses and so should Jews. LGBTQ should feel safe on campus, and so should Jews. And if the Jews don't count and aren't treated the same way. So I've heard students say to me, but if we go, then the university goes. The university's gone. I mean, maybe one day they'll turn around. But for now, why are you going to a place that doesn't respect or treat Jews well? So that's that's just my short advice. Leave those places. Yeah. Maybe that's terrible advice. No, no, I might have worse advice, actually. Don't look at me. I went to Yeshiva University, which so far hasn't turned anti-Semitic. So again, I may not be the best. Uh, I'm curious what Liel says. Yeah, I want to bounce off that. 
Um, because obviously, I, I agree with you. And there's obviously people who are already in those universities. We're not going to leave now, most likely. I'm going to say something that, that's sort of very sad, I think, um, but necessary. So in the past, I think before October 7th, I would have said, find allies. That's what I used to encourage my students to do. I said, find allies. Let's engage with other groups on campus that we can see eye to eye on and can become our allies on campus. I think at this point, if you have allies on campus, um, who are already coming out and standing up for Israel, great. Make sure you have their phone numbers and make sure you hang out with them as much as you possibly can. And thank them um, if you have, from the if bottom you, of your heart. And thank them, yes, and thank them from the bottom of your heart. And if and the people who you're, you, in, you encounter, whether that's your professors or whether that's your classmates or other groups on campus who are coming out against Israel and, um, you know, uh, advocating for Palestinian rights and Hamas and what have you. Well, hold on. Could you separate not... those, though? I don't think there's anything wrong with advocating for sure. Palestinian rights. It's when you're defending Hamas that I think, or praising Hamas. So I'm talking about right now. So here's the difference. In any other time, I would agree with you. Right now, anyone who's, in my opinion, on campus, anyone who's standing up for Palestinian rights, you're standing up for a hijacked version of Palestinian identity and rights and state future statehood that is, does not support any, any Palestinian who actually wants to live a good life. So right now, if you know people, in my opinion, who are standing up and protesting for Palestinians, those are people who are for massacring innocent people. That's how I see it. Um, anyone who's actually smart, and I've, I've, I follow if several of them on Instagram, who identifies... Yeah, yeah. And so right now, if you're standing up with a, Palest a Palestinian protest, unless that Palestinian protest is counteracting another yeah. Palestinian pro protest, yeah, then I'm sorry. Do not engage with those people. And those people are for killing innocent people, massacring innocent people. Not killing. I would say stay away from them. I would say don't engage. Don't. There's there's nothing you can do, right? People who have decided that evil is okay to pursue and to, um, and to, and to advocate for it, don't engage. And... This is the saddest thing that I'm going to say. Make sure you make friends and get to know your campus police and campus security and have their phone number in your phone. Um, and while you're at it, take a self-defense course. That's what I really think. I think it's going to get bad. I think it's going to get really bad because it's going to get bad here. So it's going to get bad there. Um, and that's really more morbid. <laughs> I apologize. But that's what I think. That's what I would do if I was on campus right now. Yeah, I've got, I mean, firstly, that's, Maybe we should even just take a moment just to kind of hold that for, for, for a second before I just kind of jump in with, with a question. But, but something I wanted to ask you earlier, because, um, you know, we've had several rounds in Gaza, um, 2009, 2011, 2014, 2019, etc. And there've actually been so many that, you know, and I'm an Israel educator. I can't even remember which operation is. I know cast lead is around Hanukkah because it was connected to Hanukkah. And I think Protective Edge, maybe 2011, but there have been so many that I can't even remember the different things. But there will always be people on campus. So whenever things kick off, they will, in some ways, even unthinkingly, just be, you know, kind of free Palestine, et cetera, et cetera. And your suggestion seems to be. Well, maybe I'm maybe I'm, I'm I'm projecting now. Some of those people might even be decent people. They're just not particularly educated, and therefore, if in 2014 there are people saying stop the bombing of Gaza, those people potentially one could engage with. But after October 7th, you're basically saying we're in a different place. If you are still saying 
stop the bombing of Gaza or whatever it is, then it's no longer about this is someone that can be engaged with and might be, you know, might need to educate themselves and might just have misunderstood the situation. After October the 7th, that same person is kind of an untouchable. Yes, that- and I, th- yeah, yes, yes, you, you're, under- you're understanding me correctly. And I want to just uh, even, emphasize- if, even if potentially, and I'm obviously not justifying this, even if potentially they've kind of just slipped into it because you can't slip into massacring babies. <laughs> you can't slip into massacring babies being okay. Like if that's and, not and your I, wake and up what's call, more than that, yeah, exactly, exactly. And what's more than that, I just want to like really, really emphasize what's very clear. It's all on social media. It's all on TikTok. It's all on Telegram. It's There's all no on excuse. Instagram. It's all on wherever you want. Yeah, wherever you see it. There's and no these excuse are the for moral ambiguity are... and there's no excuse for ignorance. That's basically what both of you are. Yeah, that's the difference. Yes, that's the difference. And I want to be very clear about that because it's a significant piece of the puzzle. They've seen most, I'm assuming, more videos than I've seen. And I've really tried to not see videos. And so there's no, yeah, there's no excuse. There's no excuse. And, and they're online more than I'm online. So how how could you? They've it's, seen it. They've seen the video. They're standing a, there and, and they're protesting. They've seen the video. If you go to a rally and what happened on October seventh is being cheered, and you don't leave that rally, you didn't slip into something. You've crossed a moral boundary. In other words, in two thousand fourteen, Israeli civilian casualties were nil because of Iron Dome because the army went in. We just lost more people in one day than the entire Second Intifada. We've just seen crimes against humanity at an ISIS level, at a, at a Nazi level. And world leaders are communicating, news media is communicating, social media is communicating. If you can ignore all of that and say, well, that's what decolonization looks like. Or you're willing to stand next to somebody who says, hey, this is what we've been... I am energized by the bursting forth of freedom out of October 7th, if you can stand there, I, I don't know what, we live in a world today where, where people have entered their information silos and reality doesn't penetrate the preconceived conclusion. That's a horrible thing to say, where intelligent discourse about reality cannot penetrate dogma of cult-like groups. Okay, that's the reality. That is a that is a real problem in in the Western world today, and in, in all sorts of ways. But certainly with regard to to Israel, it's a real it's a real problem. Now, by the way, let me just say, we are not the most qualified people to answer this because we live here in Israel. Uh, we're building our lives here. We, we're not diaspora Jews anymore. We prefer to be Israeli Jews than diaspora Jews. So I think it's important to listen to our perspective, but take it with a grain of salt and talk to Jewish leaders in the diaspora and educators in the diaspora also. This is an, these are opinions from, and, I, and I'm only saying this because Liel is agreeing with me more than I thought she would. I think Liel, you went further than me. But keep in mind that we're, if we're agreeing, okay, then that means we have a similar perspective and you should be looking for other perspectives as if well. If I could just share a couple of anecdotes Again, it's all anecdotes, but enough anecdotes kind of point towards a particular uh, thing. I've spoken to a lot of uh, friends in the UK, not students, um, people who are my age, so obviously very old because we were all in university around the time of the Intifada, who feel that their non-Jewish 
peer group, their colleagues haven't really stepped up. Now, I should just add, I'm very, very lucky to, I mean, I work in kind of an Israel organization, uh, two wonderful non-Jewish colleagues who, it goes without saying that they've shown super amounts of solidarity, but, but most people, whether they are doctors or psychologists or lawyers or accountants, certainly in the UK, have felt very, very alone. The people have not reached out to them. And I think that October the 7th was a huge, in addition to being an immense tragedy, for Zionism is a huge challenge because the whole idea was is that in pogroms happen in, in Galut, in diaspora, but they don't happen in Israel. So it's a huge kind of challenge for that. But I think in America, and granted, you know, none of us are there, and to a certain extent in Western Europe, the feeling was Jews who live in Western liberal democracies, open societies, that is also a fair solution to, in inverted commas, the Jewish problem. As in Zionism is, 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 is one solution, which until now I think has been pretty successful. And another one is America. I mean, Mike and I have had this conversation about American Jewry, but uh, being in America or being in generally Western liberal societies is also a decent solution to the Zionist problem. And what October the 7th has done in Israel is it's shaken up our assumption, but I think it's also shaken up the assumptions that many diaspora Jews had about what it's like to be Jewish there as well. In some ways, it's, it's shaken the foundations of all of our assumptions. Specifically, I've seen the never again coming back, right? Never again is now. That's like a big, become a big hashtag online. Yeah, I, I think I think it's, I think we're all, I think there was this hope that the progress of Western civilization would continue to eradicate these evils and we're seeing a resurgence. Uh, that's unnerving. And it means we have to be vigilant and keep our eyes open and make smart decisions. This this October seventh is a is 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 a horror beyond you know. One of the, there are pogroms with with death counts of thirteen fourteen hundred people, and you know the pogromists didn't take two hundred captives into Minsk or whatever. This is this is a har this is a horrible event in world history. This is almost half of nine eleven. Not per capita. It's almost half of 9-11. And America is 330 million and Israel's 9 million. I mean, this is... And for people to cheer that on. There were people in distant parts of the world who cheered on 9-11. I don't think anyone in America was cheering on 9-11. I don't know. Nobody in Israel was cheering on. Nobody in Europe was cheering on 9-11. I don't think college campuses, there were people cheering on 9-11. You had, well, what does the Western world expect after colonization? It wasn't, there weren't rallies on college campuses. And to do this to Israel means you think there's something different about Jews. Jews don't count. And so we have to, before we can even talk about what do we, how do we fix it? Is it fixable? I agree with Liel. The first thing we talk about is how do we keep ourselves safe? And that's and if scary. If it's not fixable, then what do we do? Other than, and this goes back to Liel's thing, hunker down, <laughs> try and find, Try and find safe areas. Try and find allies if they allies if they exist. Police, self defense. I mean, that's if that's where it goes, and that that's that's a travesty. Yeah. Or I mean, look, I, I'm still. I, I live here. I still feel. I still fear overall. Jews are safer here. 
even with this horrible, horrible mm-hmm. day in the long term. I agree. But it, yeah, but we're Zionists who moved here, so we're biased. So we're not, you know, we have it a perspective that's worth listening to. It's worth considering. But again, and, and I do want to, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you, Leo. Leo I, I agree with you. If you're, if you're at a pro-Palestinian rally that's celebrating Hamas, even if you're not there for that, there, but I, I don't think it's wrong for people to say at this time, I, I hope for the best for the innocent civilians of Gaza and look out for their, look, sure. I, I've been, Sure. I've been calling Palestinian friends here in Israel and saying, like here in the West Bank and saying, you know, I know you can't get to work. You've been locked in your town. You know, I feel bad. Like, like I, 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 that's obviously okay. But to go to one of these rallies, it's beyond the pale. Mm-hmm. Or, re- or reposting the, the sentiment that the rally is supporting as well. Because more people are doing that. Exactly, than exactly, exactly. Okay, now it's time for Kalev to wrap up with an optimistic, positive ending. Whoa, Mike, an optimistic, <laughs> positive ending? I mean, well, we've basically said that, you know, the two most successful movements of, of, of Jewish life in the 20th century, one of which was Zionism, one, one of which was going to America, have both been significantly undermined by one dark day. I'm not sure if I can do that. I, I will. I will. So let me just jump in for 30 seconds. I saw somebody tweet, we Jews can only count on each other, but boy, can we count on each other. And so I agree with Liel, embrace the allies, thank the allies. And we also have to embrace each other and take care of each other. And we will. Yeah. So that is, that would have been a beautiful way to end other than the fact that I just want to add one thing. So maybe you'll come back, but it's, you know, just to return to something Mike said, this is a disaster on campus and, and, and the many other people have felt uh, alone. But when you look at Biden and Sunak and Schultz and all of it, you know, as in th- th- this is, we, we should also show appreciation to the people who have called it out the way it is. Now, that doesn't necessarily help you if you're, if you're, a, if you're a, a freshman on, at Harvard, but this, this is not the world. This is, you know, this is, this is a section. The, world, the, the free world agrees with you. Exactly. Anyway, um, thank you both for your, for your insights and your wisdom. And thank you, guys. We, good uh, to talk even uh, in hard times. It's you. good to see friends. May we discuss in better times. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to the Israel Conversation by the Massah Leadership and Impact Center. In everything we do, we hope to connect our fellows to Israel as home, that our Massah fellows will feel at home in Israel and understand more about Israel in all of its diversity. We connect our fellows to Jewish peoplehood, to feel an affinity for Judaism and a sense of belonging to the Jewish people. The connection is active and meaningful in their lives. And finally, personal development. And in the case of this podcast, our goal is that you'll be able to use the tools and learning for reflection and future development in conversations about Israel and Judaism. If this episode is meaningful to you, please subscribe and share with somebody that you think it will be meaningful to.